Prince Andrew was always the Queen's favourite son, the war hero who held a special place in her heart and in her palace. But then photos of him walking in Central Park with Jeffrey Epstein were published. Welcome to the third episode of a new series by Shameless Media. Andrew and Fergie, a very royal scandal. Hello, Michelle. Hello, Zara McDonald. Before anyone wonders if we've accidentally uploaded this early, we haven't. We know it's Sunday and we will explain (laughs) a little bit more in a second. But let's start with where we've been over the last couple of weeks, Mish, because over the last two weeks for a very special two-part series, we've been talking about Prince Andrew and his ex-wife, Sarah Ferguson, or Fergie, as she's commonly known. Yeah, exactly right. We spoke a lot about their marriage and divorce. We focused a lot in the last episode on the fall of Sarah Ferguson, how the press went after her, her toe-sucking scandal, her falling out of favour with the royal family. We also spoke about her huge money headaches, her huge debt, and then how she was caught allegedly trying to sell access to her ex-husband, Prince Andrew, in exchange for cash. Yeah, we felt like this was important context, right, to explain how the monarchy functions. And I think more importantly, the level of entitlement that is ingrained in family members like Prince Andrew that led him to where he is now, that led him to making the decisions that he made and led him to constantly thinking that he'd never be held accountable for any decision that he makes. Well, he was the Queen's favourite boy, right? Like he was the golden child. At the end of the last episode, we told you guys another two episodes were about to come your way, this time unpacking Andrew and Fergie's relationship with Jeffrey Epstein. But the more we sat with it over the last week, Zara, we made the decision to pivot. Yeah, exactly. And so we decided to combine these two episodes together in one and run them ad-free for you as additional content on your weekend. There will actually be another Scandal series beginning tomorrow on Monday. So we're back to regular programming from tomorrow. But we really do want to tell the story of Prince Andrew and the royal family's involvement with Jeffrey Epstein. This story being public is something that victim survivors have been fighting for for decades. They want this out there and they want it spoken about. Virginia Dufresne, whose story you will hear in this episode, has been trying to make the following details known to the world for almost 20 years. And she has done that at a great personal cost. So we want to tell this story and we want you to know about the story. We just want to do it in the right way. I also think it's one of those stories that you should always have in the back of your mind when we talk about anything regarding the royal family because the decisions that they've made over the last few years are crucial I think to how we should consider their influence. Really important content warning as well before we jump in as many of you will be already aware this episode will detail alleged instances of sexual abuse it will also detail suicide and may be triggering for some listeners so listener discretion is heavily advised yeah and we also won't cover everything about Jeffrey Epstein and Ghislaine Maxwell in this episode for a comprehensive look at his life and crimes we'll leave some other links in our show notes for where you guys can go given we're a celebrity podcast we are focusing primarily on the celebrities involved that is pretty Prince Andrew and Fergie. We want to look at how they were connected to Epstein over the years and how this played out in the media. Okay, so now we've told you all of that. Let's rewind to February 2011 to when Prince Andrew was first connected to Jeffrey Epstein. Alrighty, Mish, it is February 2011 and it is a huge period for the royal family. I mean, it's widely regarded around this time as the start of their golden era. You've got Prince William and Kate Middleton's big day coming up in just two months. And for for many, this was the year that the royal family was going to redeem themselves. Three of Elizabeth's children, including Prince Andrew, were divorced. The controversies around Princess Diana's treatment in the royal family had hung over the family like a dark cloud for decades. And not many people liked Prince Charles and Camilla. No. These two, William and Kate, were the ones that were kind of going to salvage the royal family. Exactly right. And their wedding was hoped to be big enough and fancy enough to do that. Prince William and Kate Middleton absolutely marked a new era. And to get a sense of how golden this period was for the monarchy and how golden they were as a couple, consider this. In the wake of the duo's engagement, The Guardian wrote... 
A decade ago, The Guardian prominently announced its commitment to republicanism, but Prince William has shown that he can be a new kind of king. That is why, in a significant change of course, we today pledge our full-throated support for the British monarchy. Huge, right? Massive! Absolutely huge. That is just about everything that the monarchy can dream of, given everything that had happened in the years prior. This almost would have seemed like an impossible redemption story for them. Yeah. But this was a time that places like The Guardian were flipping their support back to the monarchy. Their full-throated support. Yeah, not just their full support, they're full-throated, which is why it was such a massive deal when in Feb 2011, two months before the wedding, another scandal hit the palace. It was that month that the New York Post published a photo of Prince Andrew walking in Central Park with convicted sex offender Jeffrey Epstein. The New York Post claimed that during Prince Andrew's New York visit, he, he was 51 years old at this point, by the way, wasn't just going on park walks, but had actually spent four days at Jeffrey Epstein's East 71st Street home. So it wasn't like they were just two buddies catching up on a coffee walk. They were very, very close friends who were staying together. Exactly. And it sounds super hectic, right? And I think it only becomes more intense when you understand the backstory. So let's rewind from our rewind for a second, <laughs> because in order to really properly understand this story, we need to explain who Jeffrey Epstein was, how he and Prince Andrew met, and why it was so, so bad. So bad. That Andrew was pictured hanging out with him in 2011. Yeah. Well, in a nutshell, Jeffrey Epstein was an American financier and an incredibly wealthy man who had made a lot of money on Wall Street. He was said to be worth around $500 million after his career in investing. Epstein did didn't come from family money. According to The Guardian, he was born in a pretty rough Brooklyn neighbourhood. And despite not graduating from college, he was hired to teach mathematics at a Manhattan private school. After he was dismissed from the school for poor performance, Epstein actually managed to land a job at an investment bank called Bear Stearns, thanks to a parent he met at the school. I mean, this is like... Random. Connection City, right? To be yeah. dismissed from a mathematics job and then randomly walk into a job at an investment bank. At best earns. Feels like luck on steroids. Mm. Within six years at that investment bank, he was managing the portfolios of an exclusive group of incredibly wealthy people. Yeah. So you could say Jeffrey Epstein was super powerful. He was connected to high level politicians and business people from all over the world. Amongst them was former presidents Bill Clinton and Donald Trump. Tina Brown in the Palace Papers wrote that Clinton often flew on Epstein's private plane, which was a customized Boeing 727. On top of having that private plane. Jeffrey Epstein spent millions of dollars funding science projects at Harvard University. He was known for throwing extravagant parties and was described as the modern day great Gatsby. He often hosted dinner parties with big investors, academics, entrepreneurs, including Bill Gates, the founder of Microsoft. And of course, we will remember quite recently that in the wake of Bill and Melinda Gates' divorce, that she cites Bill Gates' involvement or the odd catch-up with Jeffrey Epstein as one key reason that their marriage went down the drain. Yeah. But that's another story entirely. Epstein had a bunch of houses as well. He had one in Palm Beach. He had his own Caribbean island. He had a ranch in Santa Fe and a $56 million 40-room Manhattan mansion that took up nearly a whole block of 71st Street. Yeah, fun I, fact on this, he bought that mansion in New York from the owner of Victoria's Secret, Les Wexner. Yeah, which and they were quite close, weren't they? They were buddies. Which says to me maybe he got it at like a bargain price. Well, I'm so glad you said this or asked this. He bought it for about $20 million, which is a lot. Like he did hand over a lot of cash. 40-room Manhattan mansion. Oh, it's worth so much more than 20 mil. So how did Jeffrey Epstein and Prince Andrew know each other? What a good question. Prince Andrew has said that he was introduced to Jeffrey Epstein in 1999 by a woman that you might have heard of called Ghislaine Maxwell. Prince Andrew later admitted that he had known Ghislaine since her Oxford uni days. Yeah, we need to briefly talk about Ghislaine here because she is also a very important character in this whole Epstein saga as well. Ghislaine has her own interesting backstory. She is the daughter of media mogul Robert Maxwell, who owned newspapers like the Daily Mirror, the New York Daily News and Macmillan Publishing House. 
Robert Maxwell, Ghislaine's father, actually mysteriously disappeared in 1991 off the side of his yacht. Later, after his death, all of this stuff came out about how he was stealing huge sums of money from one of his company's pension funds. And to escape the controversy, Ghislaine Maxwell fled to New York. Yeah, it's often reported that Ghislaine met Epstein pretty soon after she arrived in New York and that Epstein, I don't know, quote unquote, took her in. But Tina Brown in the Palace Papers claims that they actually met years before through Ghislaine's dad. According to Tina Brown, and to be honest, a lot of other reporters in this area, Ghislaine felt madly in love with Epstein, but the affair was brief. Mm. Like they dated for the smallest amount of times and then just had this like platonic relationship for decades after that. Yeah, like a very tight-knit platonic relationship, almost like brother and sister or best friends. Bizarre. Yeah, and I love how we're like saying that this is all odd as if the rest of the story isn't going to be one of the oddest tales we tell on this show. Absolutely, one of the most disturbing for sure. Prince Andrew was apparently Ghislaine's biggest social catch for Jeffrey Epstein. Andrew was 39, divorced and literal royalty when they crossed paths. In the Palace Papers, Tina Brown wrote that Prince Andrew, Jeffrey Epstein and Ghislaine Maxwell became, and I quote, a peripatetic social trio, the three musketeers of lust. Yeah, in Feb 2000, they attended an event at Donald Trump's Florida resort. In May that year, they travelled on Epstein's plane to Palm Beach, where a witness, who was Epstein's former handyman, alleges that Prince Andrew attended naked swimming pool parties at Epstein's house and was treated to massages by attractive girls on a daily basis. But it's worth noting here that that witness said he never saw Andrew engaging in anything untoward. Mm. In June 2000, Epstein and Ghislaine were invited as the Duke of York's special guests to the Queen's Dance of the Decades at Windsor Castle. So they're tight. Like, these are his plus two at this stage in time. And it's also not just his plus two. Two, right? These are the kinds of people that he wants to bring into royal circles because what he thinks these are the kinds of people that are going to impress mummy. Yeah, mummy. (laughs) True, no, but truly, that's what they he calls her, and these are also the kind of people that he wants to impress too. Yeah, absolutely. He wants them around him. He wants them to kind of like be rubbing off onto him. Yeah. In December that year, Prince Andrew invited them to spend the weekend shooting at Sandringham. Yeah. In January two thousand and one, leaked photos appeared of Prince Andrew sunbathing on a yacht in Thailand with a group of topless women. According to reports at the time, Andrew was on a holiday with Epstein and Ghislaine Maxwell. Andrew and Jeffrey Epstein were reportedly spotted in bars around the island, including one staffed by semi-naked go-go dancers. So they have a penchant for like not just the extravagant, but the sexual. Yeah, two months later in March... Andrew, Ghislaine and Epstein were out partying together this time in London. According to multiple reports, Prince Andrew spent more time with Ghislaine than he did with Epstein. In the documentary Ghislaine, Prince Andrew and the Pentafile, two sources claimed that Andrew and Ghislaine were so close that Buckingham Palace staff thought that they were dating at one point in the early 2000s. Yeah, odd. But even so, Epstein and Andrew reportedly saw each other several times a year. They were very close as well. They were great mates they hung out a lot and that's just going off what the media saw like we have pap shots to go off but I'm sure there are a whole bunch of meetings that we have no idea about well that's exactly right we've just routed off a whole timeline of all the moments that the public saw them hanging out but as you say that's just the stuff we know not the stuff we don't know I think to understand why this friendship was so important to Andrew you kind of have to understand his insecurity at being the second son of the Queen. He was important, but he also got a lot less important Mm. as he grew up and became far more irrelevant as he grew up. He had status without actually that much power. His greatest asset in this world was his title, which he used to meet and schmooze people with arguably far more power than him. So enter Jeffrey Epstein. Yeah, as Tina Brown wrote in the Palace Papers, Epstein made Andrew feel like he had joined the big time. The deals, the girls, the plane, the sexy Manhattan world where he wasn't seen as a full-grown man still dependent on his mama's privy purse strings or on the harsh pecking order of the palace. Privately, Epstein told people that Andrew was an idiot, but to him, a useful one. A senior royal is always a potent magnet abroad. An invitation to meet the Queen's second son, even one tainted with the swirl of rumours, could still common A-list acceptances from business people otherwise hard to snare. 
With Andrew as frontman, Epstein could negotiate deals with these often shady players and give Andrew some cream off of the cake. Yeah, so the inference there, of course, is that Epstein would bring out Prince Andrew like a little plaything mm. to big, important businessmen. They'd organise some deals together and then Prince Andrew would make a little bit of that cash because the royal title was helpful for the deal. That's Almost the, like a finder's fee or something. Yes, <laughs> that's like the allegation of the stories rolling around. So as at this point in the story, I think we absolutely need to talk about what happened to Epstein, like how he went from being this wealthy person that everybody wanted to know to a convicted sex offender. Back in 2005, police in Palm Beach, Florida, began investigating Epstein. So this has been a really long time coming. Mm. A woman had rung up the police station to say that her stepdaughter, a 14-year-old student at the local high school, had told a friend that she'd had sex with a middle-aged man who gave her money. That man, she claimed, was named Jeff and lived in a big house at the end of a dead-end street. Yeah, the police started investigating this and discovered that it wasn't just one girl but many girls who had stories about being molested by Jeffrey Epstein. The local police were worried that given his wealth and his connections, Epstein could get off lightly if the case didn't fall into the right hands. So they escalated the case to the FBI. Yeah, exactly. Now, the FBI found that Epstein allegedly brought many girls to his home, gave them gifts and cash and had them perform naked massages and sex acts. The authorities also found that Epstein and his associates were paying some of the girls to recruit others and bring them to his house. Like a pyramid scheme. Yeah, interviews with alleged victim survivors show that some of the girls involved were under the age of 18. Eventually, the US Attorney's Office in Miami, which at the time was run by a man called Alex Acosta, remember that name because it will be coming up a little bit, drafted a 15-page indictment against Epstein. Now, this indictment laid out the allegations of sex trafficking against minors and carried a potential punishment of life in prison if Jeffrey Epstein was found guilty. Yeah, exactly. But months went by and finally in 2008, so three years after the Palm Beach police first got their phone call, the victim survivors found out that Epstein wasn't going to appear in court. Little did they know Epstein and his incredibly high-powered defence lawyers had negotiated this absolutely extraordinary deal with federal prosecutors. The federal prosecutors wouldn't take Epstein to federal court with a long list of charges and in return, Epstein would plead guilty in a state court to a single charge of soliciting prostitution from a girl below the age of 18. Not trafficking, prostitution. And in a state court, not a federal one. Yeah, so far less eyeballs on this, a far more like diluted sentence than what trafficking would have been, which of course carries a far more lenient sentence. Now, let's talk about the punishment that Epstein had to go through because it was pretty weak. Jeffrey Epstein had to pay financial restitution to some of his victims. He also did have to register as a sex offender. But according to The Guardian, while Florida is known for its harsh prison system and lengthy sentencing, Epstein only received an 18-month sentence. He actually ended up serving less than 13 months in a private wing of the county jail. Now, if that makes you mad, wait until you hear this. He actually was also allowed to leave jail six days of the week to go to work. He was also allowed to sleep with his jail cell door open at night. He was released five months early. And you might say, if you're spending six of the days at work anyway, did you go to prison at all? Yeah, exactly. So bizarre. To be clear, the arrangement did come as a surprise to some at the time, but the prosecutors claimed that this is how they could make sure that Epstein served at least some jail time and would force him to register as a sex offender. I think federal prosecutors tried to convince the world at the time that this was kind of the only way something would work, yeah. right? And it feels very much with hindsight that they didn't even bother fighting because of that. According to the Miami Herald, as part of this arrangement, Alex Acosta agreed, despite a federal law to the contrary, that the deal would be kept from the victims. As a result... The non-prosecution agreement was sealed until after it was approved by the judge, thereby averting any chance that the girls or anyone else might show up in court and try to derail it. They deliberately hid this from the women and the girls to protect Epstein. 
to protect Epstein until after it had already been decided so none of them could protest it. It's insanity. After serving just 13 months in prison, Jeffrey Epstein was released on July 22, 2009 for a year of probation on house arrest. He completed that house arrest in August 2010. Six months later, he was photographed in Central Park with Prince Andrew. So this brings us back to actually where we started the episode, February 2011. To refresh all of our memories, the New York Post published a photo of Andrew walking in Central Park with Jeffrey Epstein. As we said earlier, the publication didn't just claim that they were going for a light walk. They also claimed that Andrew had spent four days staying at Jeffrey Epstein's house where Epstein apparently threw himself a welcome home party. A welcome home party from prison. Yeah, with guests including TV presenter Katie Couric and the very controversial movie director Woody Allen. Yeah, some sources told News of the World that they saw multiple women coming to Epstein's house during Prince Andrew's stay and at one point they spotted Andrew kissing a brunette woman on the doorstep. News of the World also ran the photo with a headline, Prince Andy and the pedo. Just what is the fourth in line to the throne doing meeting with a convicted child sex pervert even if he is a billionaire? The opening line of the article read, Prince Andrew goes for a stroll with a disgraced billionaire friend who is a convicted child sex pervert. It is the first time that he and Jeffrey Epstein, 58, have been snapped together since the financier was jailed on sex charges involving a girl of 14. Some tried to argue that the photo and others taken that day were all fake. But, like, we know that Come on they now. weren't. This wasn't where the story ended either. Five days after the New York Post published those photos, another huge bomb dropped. In Australia, a 27-year-old woman named Virginia Roberts Dufray had seen the photograph of Epstein and Andrew making international headlines and decided it was finally time to speak out. Yeah, so who is Virginia Dufray? Well, she was 16 years old when she was working for $9 an hour as a spa attendant at Mar-a-Lago, Donald Trump's private club in Palm Beach, Florida. She claims that while working there, she was recruited by Ghislaine Maxwell to sexually service Jeffrey Epstein and his friends at his home in Palm Beach and around the world. Yeah, on the 26th of February 2011, the Mail on Sunday published an interview with Virginia. The reporter, Sharon Churchill, wrote... Now, horrified by the evidence of Epstein and Andrew enjoying each other's company in New York, Jane Doe, number 102, has agreed to waive her anonymity and tell, for the first time, her deeply disturbing story. Yeah, that story was that in March 2001, Virginia Jeffrey claims that Jeffrey Epstein paid her $15,000 to travel to Paris, Spain and Tangier with a stop in London where she stayed at Ghislaine's townhouse. She said that that night, Prince Andrew came over. The four of them went to dinner, then to a private club called Tramp where, Virginia claims, Prince Andrew danced with her. About an hour and a half after that, they allegedly returned to Ghislaine Maxwell's home. Virginia's quote to the Daily Mail reads, All of us went upstairs and I asked Jeffrey to snap a picture of me with the prince. I wanted something to show my mum. The photo Virginia provided shows her as a teenager wearing a pink top and low-cut jeans. I'm sure so many of our listeners have seen this photo, Mish. Prince Andrew is standing on one side of her with his arm around her waist. On the other side, standing in the background, is Ghislaine Maxwell. Virginia claimed that Jeffrey Epstein had taken the photo. She also told the Mail on Sunday that after first meeting with Prince Andrew, she had two other encounters with him. One at Epstein's New York home later in 2001 and another a year later after she turned 18 on Epstein's private island. But the Mail on Sunday wrote, there is no suggestion that there was any sexual contact between Virginia and Andrew or that Andrew knew that Epstein paid her to have sex with his friends. Yeah. So to be clear, the story has evolved over time. Initially, when we knew about Virginia Dufresne and Prince Andrew and Epstein and this whole story and we had the photo, we were told that there was no contact between them. Or at least there was no suggestion of yes. any sexual contact at that time. Let's put two of these people to the side for a second. We'll come back to them. We'll come back to Virginia and Prince Andrew in a sec. But first, we need to discuss Fergie. We're bringing Fergie back into the fold because she herself had her own connections to Jeffrey Epstein, didn't she? Yeah, and Fergie's debt scandals didn't end. In March 2011, The Telegraph published that back in 2009, when Fergie was close to bankruptcy, Prince Andrew had asked Jeffrey Epstein to settle a £15,000 debt with one of her personal assistants. Yeah, you might be wondering why didn't Prince Andrew 
himself pay off this debt? Well, from everything that we can tell, it's probably because Prince Andrew didn't have a heap of disposable income. We spoke a lot about this in our last two-part series about Prince Andrew and Fergie. They're wealthy, but they're not cash rich. Yeah, exactly. And if they're not cash rich, it's not like they can go and get deals with Spotify and Netflix like Meghan and Harry did after they left the royal family. When you are inside the royal family, it's seen as a massive no-no for you to make money leveraging your royal title. How's this quote from a friend of Andrew's who spoke to Vanity Fair? The root problem is that you cannot have the sovereign's children out hunting for money. This has come back to haunt them over and over again. How do you properly represent the family? How do you finance multi-million dollar homes and travel all over the world representing the brand? How do you live? So what do you do? You're in a constant search for money. Yeah, in March 2011, Fergie admitted the report that she had received money from Jeffrey Epstein was true and publicly apologised for letting a convicted sex offender pay off her debt. Fergie said that accepting Jeffrey Epstein's help was, and I quote, a gigantic error of judgment. She went on, I personally, on behalf of myself, deeply regret that Jeffrey Epstein became involved in any way with me. She gave this quote to the London's Evening Standard newspaper, I abhor pedophilia and any sexual abuse of children and know this was a gigantic error of judgment on my behalf. I am just so contrite I cannot say. Whenever I can, I will repay the money and will have nothing ever to do with Jeffrey Epstein ever again. Fergie also said that she was finally out of debt. It was suspected that she was finally able to pay back her estimated $7 million in debt following her reality TV series, Finding Sarah with Oprah Winfrey. Of course, that we spoke about in the last episode. She said, this is the first time ever in my life, and I mean ever, that I have been debt-free. It allows me to go forward to do what I do. Being a good mother, a philanthropist for children. (sighs) Sorry. Sorry, this woman. I haven't even finished my quote. And also an author of children's books. Can we just have a second? For Fergie using this opportunity to position herself as a philanthropist for children when she's literally pocketed money off of a convicted child abuser. Yeah, I know. Like the goal of this woman and Prince Andrew, he's not getting off at all. Like he's even worse. But the goal of some of the royals to continually position themselves as angels or saints when they do some pretty egregious shit blows my mind. It is pretty wild, like that sort of real dichotomy straight away in saying that you are, as you said, a philanthropist for children, but also in the same breath apologising for taking money from a convicted child sex offender is, it's it's wild to say the least. You almost can't get less self-aware than Sarah Ferguson yeah, and Prince Andrew. I agree with you. Now, according to Tina Brown's book, when all these scandals came out, the Queen sent for Andrew and asked him to explain himself. A palace source told Vanity Fair, and I quote, the Duke assured his mother that he had no sexual relationship with Virginia Roberts or any of the Epstein girls. Yeah, Brown said that the Queen needed to safeguard William and Kate's impending wedding against the scandal. So instead of publicly distancing herself from Andrew, the Queen did the opposite. She actually summoned Prince Andrew to Windsor Castle and awarded him the Knight Grand Cross of the Royal Victorian Order. That is the highest possible honour for personal service to the Queen. So very interesting strategy going on. Yeah, it was an incredibly public and incredibly visual symbol of her support. It meant that Andrew would be allowed to wear a red, white and blue sash and star-shaped insignia that showed, and I quote, the monarch's deep appreciation of his personal service for all of the world to see. Tina Brown wrote that the Queen, and I quote, made it plain to the press that their second son had her full protection. The theatre worked. The British press went strangely silent about Andrew's tawdry sub-Rosa life and turned its attention to the national joy of the Cambridge wedding. I want to pause on this for a second because I would love to know if it was my youth that made me not remember any of this scandal pre-wedding mm. or if the story actually kind of was killed off. Yeah, it's hard to know. I mean, 2011, 2012, we were quite young. We were still we're like, 17. Yeah, 17, 18. I would love our listeners to reach out to us and let us know, do you remember much of this or do you think that it was completely overshadowed by the joy of that wedding? Because I, I pretty well believe 
that this story was almost a non-story after a while. And do you think, this is all conjecture, of course, we don't know anything for sure. Do you think the palace could have used the wedding, knowing what a huge story that would be, a huge moment for the media to try and capitalise on the royal wedding that everyone was talking about? Do you think they kind of use that as a bargaining chip with media publications to say, if you kind of ignore this or let it simmer down, don't write about Prince Andrew's photos with Jeffrey Epstein, all the connections, all the Fergie stuff, we can give you a certain level of access, a certain... Exclusive. Yeah. We prioritise you. We will favour you when it comes to the wedding and that's what everyone is clicking on, reading about. Everyone has the interest in that anyway. I think you're absolutely right. I think it's like the world's most powerful bargaining tool. I I think in some of this reporting, a lot of people are saying this couldn't have come at a worse time for the monarchy, but in many ways came at a pretty beautiful time for them because they were able to divert and distract with the thing that everybody actually wanted to spend their energy on. People wanted the shiny, simple thing that just made sense, which was the couple getting married, not that second son of the queen getting involved with child sex offenders it's so icky while andrew did survive the wedding and truthfully while his reputation was still very much intact given the severity of his scandals come july so three months after the royal wedding he actually did resign from his position at the time as britain's international trade ambassador yeah let's talk about Ghislaine for a moment because i feel like we spent a bit of time on epstein and andrew but i do feel like we need to bring Ghislaine back into the fold because Ghislaine maxwell was a really important and crucial player in this awful story Ghislaine acted as essentially jeffrey epstein's madam she helped jeffrey epstein sexually exploit and abuse girls she helped him to recruit groom and abuse victims as young as 14. As we mentioned earlier, it is thought that their relationship was once romantic, but that didn't last long. And after that, it became more platonic and also transactional. Ghislaine sort of sought out and groomed the victims for Jeffrey. Yeah, their relationship was intriguing. We've said that so many times already. In 2003, Jeffrey Epstein described Ghislaine Maxwell as his best friend. According to the BBC, former employees at the Epstein mansion in Palm Beach described Ghislaine as the house manager who supervised staff, looked after finances, and acted as like a social coordinator. Sarah Ransom, who says that she was abused by Epstein, once told the BBC, Ghislaine controlled the girls. She would be the one getting all the girls in check. She knew what Jeffrey liked. This was very much a joint effort. Yeah, so that's how Ghislaine had been involved. Fast forward to 2015 and Virginia Dufresne actually sued Ghislaine Maxwell for defamation after Ghislaine called her a liar. Prince Andrew's name began making headlines again, this time for something far more serious. In the court papers filed for that defamation case, Virginia claimed that Jeffrey Epstein forced her to have sex with Prince Andrew when she was just 17 years old. According to The Guardian, the filing at the time placed Andrew under, and I quote, intense pressure, forcing him to return to his home at Windsor from a skiing holiday in Switzerland, where he was there with friends as well as his daughter, Princess Beatrice. The Guardian also reported that the Duke actually resumed public engagements in late January after taking a few weeks off for this scandal. So it wasn't like he needed to go to ground for that long. Mm. When he returned to public work, reporters continued to ask him about the nature of his relationship with Virginia. And it was there that he gave a short speech to, and I quote, reiterate and reaffirm the existing emphatic denials from Buckingham Palace regarding the lurid and deeply personal claims. Yeah, the Washington Post hypothesised at the time that the allegations could be lethal for Prince Andrew's reputation. Here's what they reported in 2015. It's unclear what the consequences of the new accusations will be, but the hit to his reputation may again prove dramatic. In the British press, many are treating it as a blow not just to Andrew, but the entire royal institution. The Republicans are rubbing their hands in glee. Peter Oborn of The Telegraph writes. So the natural question is, Why didn't this blow up like it did years later? 2015 is so long ago. So long ago, seven years ago. And that's because the Prince Andrew allegations were thrown out and struck from the court record of that defamation suit at the time because the judge said it was, and I quote, immaterial and impertinent to the central claim of the case, which was, of course, 
Virginia saying that Ghislaine defamed her. So while these allegations still floated around and there were still question marks about it all, in this case at least they weren't given airtime in court. So alas, the world largely forgot. And I think if there's one thing that has become incredibly clear to me through researching this story is how quickly we're happy to forget things when we don't have them constantly in our face, Mm. that we can see these really messy, really dark allegations and think, oh, if I'm not constantly being reminded about it and I don't have to face it, I will let myself forget. Yeah, like we really do have this tendency to be distracted by a shiny thing in the corner. Like we'd love to think that we're all so rational and we really throw ourselves behind the causes that matter, but truly we get distracted and we do forget quite easily. As we know, Jeffrey Epstein wasn't arrested until 2019, but in the years before that, there was a bit of work going on behind the scenes to try and get this to happen. So a couple of things happened in this case to bring it back to the public's radar, to bring it back to the public's conversation. For starters, in 2017, Alex Acosta, that Miami federal prosecutor who brokered that insane sort of weak deal. Ridiculous deal. With Epstein's defence team, was actually appointed by Donald Trump as Labor Secretary. Now, as part of that new role, Alex Acosta's responsibilities included combating sex trafficking. Now, with that nomination came a lot of public scrutiny regarding his time as prosecutor. You can imagine it happens universally in politics. When somebody gets a relatively high-profile job, people start digging into their past to say, okay, well, what is their record on this, particularly in the legal system? And people started digging into his career and time on the Epstein case. His deal with Epstein actually came up in his Senate confirmation hearing, which is all just to say this was starting to make combo again. Yeah, 100%. A year later, a three-part reporting series from the Miami Herald's Julie Brown dropped. Now, Julie Brown had been working on this story for a year and this was huge in gaining public attention. The series was published in late 2018 and found a trove of documents which exposed how the non-prosecution deal had been reached and it showed that Jeffrey Epstein's defence lawyers had been super chummy with the prosecutors who were supposed to be punishing him for some awful crimes. The Herald also found a bunch of victim survivors who were willing to speak on the record for the first time and confirmed this sort of pyramid scheme where girls were being paid to recruit more girls. I mean, it's kind of like the most awful form of pyramid scheme you can really imagine. Yeah, all of this started to build new public pressure for something to be done in the case. A judge ruled in Feb 2019 that federal prosecutors, including Alex Acosta, violated the law when they brokered that deal with Epstein. Specifically, it was found to be illegal when they did not tell the victims that the government had struck a deal not to prosecute him. Now, the federal prosecutor in New York actually found a new victim survivor in his jurisdiction, which meant they could essentially have a redo of the case in a different state. The prosecutors concluded that they weren't bound by the terms of the earlier non-prosecution deal that had been brokered with Epstein some 11 years before, and they decided to pursue a new case against Epstein. On July 6, Epstein was arrested for sex trafficking after his plane landed in New Jersey, and he was put into federal custody. Days after that, Alex Acosta resigned as Labor Secretary amid the public outrage about his role in the original Jeffrey Epstein investigation and the original handing down of that incredibly diluted, incredibly weak punishment. Yeah, so by August 2019, a federal judge actually unsealed hundreds of pages of court documents from that 2015 lawsuit that Virginia Dufresne filed against Ghislaine Maxwell. Now, as a result, even more details around her allegations against Prince Andrew were made public. Now, in these documents, Virginia claimed to have had three sexual encounters with Prince Andrew. The palace, of course, came out and strenuously denied all of Virginia's claims. It didn't help, though, Mish, that she wasn't the only one with allegations or witness testimony about Prince Andrew. Mm, In one of the unsealed documents, witness Johanna Soberg told investigators that Prince Andrew had groped her. She spoke of an incident involving herself, Ghislaine, Prince Andrew, Virginia Dufresne and a puppet. She was quoted saying in the documents that Andrew and Virginia sat on the couch and they put the puppet on her lap. She said, I sat on Andrew's lap, I believe on my own volition and they took the puppet's hands and put it on Virginia's breast and so Andrew put his on mine. A deposition from Epstein's 
personal pilot was also released in which the pilot alleged that Prince Andrew had flown on Epstein's private jet at least twice with Virginia Dufresne on board. Yeah, and then a day after all these documents were unsealed on August 10, 2019, Jeffrey Epstein was found dead in his cell. The death was officially ruled a suicide, but as I'm sure many of our listeners can remember, there was a whole lot of conspiracy theories around his death. Despite warning signs and despite the fact he had actually attempted suicide the month before on July 23, he was reportedly not on suicide watch at the time of his death. Yeah, I think we can basically characterise this as saying there are still so many question marks around how Jeffrey Epstein died to this day and I think there will be for a very long time. A day after Jeffrey Epstein was found dead in his cell, Prince Andrew was spotted making a public appearance at Sunday church with his mother, the Queen. Paparazzi photos obtained by British tabloids showed him with his daughter, Princess Beatrice, accompanying the Queen in a car after service at their local church. What an interesting decision here. Like to This be, was huge. Yeah, to be photographed so quickly after Jeffrey Epstein's death. This was the biggest story in the world, for sure. For the decision for him to be photographed and, of course, the decision to be at church, there's just... There's some interesting conversations going on in the background, I think, at the palace with what they do to deal with all of this. Yeah, I mean, the family, Prince Andrew, the Queen, Princess Beatrice could have easily stayed at Balmoral that day. Like, as you said, it was the biggest story in the world. They easily could have, you know, staked out at their private residence where they would not have been assaulted by photographers or anything. But they chose to go out and show face. And the Queen very specifically chose to align herself with Prince Andrew, which I think is one of the more fascinating and troubling decisions of you know her legacy throughout this entire thing if that wasn't enough the same month that this all happened the daily mail actually released footage of prince andrew back in 2010 peering out of the door of jeffrey epstein's manhattan home during that controversial visit we've touched on multiple times and that Central Park walk. The footage, which was taken less than an hour after Epstein left the house, showed Andrew waving goodbye to a young brunette before glancing around the door as if to kind of make sure that no one had witnessed the encounter. Mm, Two months after that, Britain's Channel 4 aired an explosive documentary called The Prince and the Pedophile, revealing that Epstein had 13 different phone numbers for Prince Andrew in his address book. That is... So odd, 13 different numbers that they were contacting each other on. Now, Prince Andrew felt the pressure to respond to this. So in November, he made the decision to sit down for what is now an infamous interview with BBC's primetime current affairs program, Newsnight. Let's talk about this because this Newsnight will forever go down in history as one of the most strange interviews a royal has ever done. Yeah, and... I think one of the main questions is, like, how? How did Newsnight get this interview with Prince Andrew, get this exclusive, manage to film it in Buckingham Palace as well? Like, so many things aligned that shouldn't have really aligned if you were someone who knew anything about PR and was kind of trying to educate or steer Prince Andrew in the right direction. How he thought this was a good idea is absolutely beyond Everyone. Yeah, let's talk about it. Because Newsnight had actually been in negotiations to chat with Prince Andrew for months, but it had never quite got off the ground. Then when Epstein was arrested and he died, it kind of all started to come together that it became obvious that Prince Andrew could not just, you know, sweep this under the rug. He needed to have a conversation publicly. Now, producer of Newsnight, Sam McAllister, actually did a fascinating interview with the ABC about how she pulled off this interview. It's kind of hard hard to make sense when you do the reading of who in the family exactly knew about this interview. But Sam McAllister did say in one of the pre-interviews for this chat that Princess Beatrice was actually by her dad's side as an advisor. Strangely, she also said she never actually met with a lawyer from his team or the royal family once. Yeah, she also said that she felt the reason Andrew was so keen to do the interview, and I quote, wasn't just to vindicate himself, but to return to public life, to walk his daughter down the aisle, to have a 60th birthday party, to live the extraordinary, privileged, amazing life that no doubt he had prior to all of this coming to the forefront. Now, essentially, it seems like this interview was a checkbox for Prince Andrew. He truly believed, at least... I don't see any other alternative. He must have truly believed that he would sit down, have this chat, 
be so charming and intelligent and persuasive that the public falls back in love with him and then everyone would just move on and forget about the awful crimes and the awful people he was associated with. I don't even think it's that so much as he genuinely just thought he could sit down and do the chat and tell his story and that would be enough, not even be persuasive or charming. I genuinely believe he thinks he's never done anything wrong in his entire life and just thought that he could do this and then everything would be fine. And truthfully, it always had been that way for him. Mm, He'd always gotten away. He'd always gotten away with stuff. So he probably thought this would just be another thing he could get away with. Thankfully, not the case. No, so let's talk about all the ways that it went wrong. For one, Prince Andrew talked about his relationship with Jeffrey Epstein. He said that he had seized contact with Epstein after he learnt that he was being investigated back in 2006 and didn't get back in touch with him until 2010. Interestingly, the journalist Emily Maitlis didn't raise the fact that Fergie admitted publicly that Jeffrey Epstein paid a debt for her at Andrew's request in 2009, which is in the period of 2006 to 2010 when he said he had no contact with him. It's completely contradicting what we had already heard from Fergie. Like, how are you not having contact with someone for four years, but then in the middle of that, you're somehow securing money for your ex-wife from that very person? Yeah, exactly. Andrew also talked a lot about the photos of him and Epstein walking through Central Park in 2010. Prince Andrew claimed that he went to see Epstein, and I quote, with the sole purpose of saying to him that because he had been convicted, it was inappropriate for us to be seen together. He, w- he went on and said, because this was serious and I felt that doing it over the telephone was the chicken's way of doing it, I had to go and see him and talk to him. And I went to see him and I was doing a number of other things in New York at the time and we had the opportunity to go for a walk in the park and that was the conversation that was coincidentally photographed. I have so many issues with this, as I'm sure all of our listeners do. How can you say in one sentence that it was inappropriate for us to be seen together? <laughs> but being seen with him. To then decide, well, let's go be seen together in central, like one of the most high profile, iconic places in New York. That's where we should go be seen together. If you think that it's inappropriate to be seen with someone or that you shouldn't be associated with them for their behavior, Of course you tell them that over the phone or you tell them via text or you don't tell them at all because they don't deserve your time and energy. Well, this is one of a long line of quotes in this interview that genuinely don't make sense. So Andrew said that he agreed to part ways with Jeffrey Epstein and he left the next day. But the journal, Emily Maitlis, grilled Andrew as to why he was actually staying at Jeffrey Epstein's home during the visit if the point of the visit had been to end the relationship. This is a snippet of what he said. It was a convenient place to stay. There was, I mean, I mean, I've gone through this in my mind so many times. At the end of the day, um, uh, uh, with the benefit of all the hindsight that one could have, um, it was definitely the wrong thing to do. Um, but at the time, I felt it was the, it was the honourable and right thing to do. And I, I admit fully that, 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 that my judgment was probably coloured by my um, tendency to be too honourable. Yeah, right. There's a lot of Fergie in that as well. The My tendency to be too honourable. Yes. I am, I am too much of a good person, too generous, too honourable, too kind to everyone around me that I continually find myself in these kinds of situations. Andrew also admitted that he was at a, and I quote, small dinner party at Epstein's home on December 2010. But he wanted to stress that it wasn't a party. Here's a snippet of that. It was a small dinner party. There were only eight or ten of us, I think, at the, at the, at the dinner. If there, was, if there was a party, then I'd know nothing about that. You were invited to that dinner as a guest of honour? Well, I was there, so there was a dinner. I don't think it was quite as, as you might put it, but yeah, okay, I was there for a, <laughs> I was there at dinner, yeah. Andrew was questioned also about Virginia Dufresne's allegations against him. Specifically, they talked about the allegations that in 2001, she met Andrew, dined with him, danced with him at Tramp Nightclub and had sex with him in Ghislaine Maxwell's house. Andrew denied these allegations. He said he had no recollection of ever meeting her. He also said that there were, and I quote, a number of things wrong with that story. He said, one of which is that I don't know where the bar is in Tramps. I don't drink. I don't think I've ever bought a drink in Tramps whenever I was there. 
He also said that he didn't remember dancing at Tramps and that on the date being suggested, I was at home with the children and Fergie was out of town. I think this is one of the more famous quotes from this interview, Mish, because he said on March 10, he'd actually taken Beatrice to a pizza gate for a party in the late afternoon. Asked how he remembered such a specific activity on such a specific date, he said, because going to Pizza Express in Woking is... A very unusual thing for me to do. Yeah. Andrew also said that Virginia's recollections that he was dancing and profusely sweating simply couldn't be true. Here's a snippet of what he said. There's a slight problem with, 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 with the sweating um, because uh, I, I have a peculiar medical condition, which is that I don't sweat um, or I didn't sweat at the time. And that was... Oh, actually, yes. I didn't sweat at the time because... I um, had suffered what I would describe as an overdose of adrenaline in the Falklands War when I was shot at. Uh, And I simply, it was was almost impossible for me to to, to sweat. This has to be one of the most outrageous things from this interview. Like I remember the sweating quote being the main pullout for a lot of people because it was, I think it really shone a light onto just how delusional, out of his depth, delusional, out of control Prince Andrew was when it came to this story and like just completely incapable of making any of this make sense. Totally agree. They also talked in this interview about that incredibly famous, now infamous photo of Prince Andrew and Virginia Dufresne. And Andrew said that from the investigations we've done, you cannot prove whether or not that photograph is faked or not because it is a photograph of a photograph of a photograph. But I don't remember the photo ever being taken. He also said that the photo was taken upstairs in Ghislaine Maxwell's home and he said he didn't think he's ever been upstairs in her home. Mm. Andrew was also asked how he supposedly did not know what Jeffrey Epstein was doing given that he appeared to spend such a decent chunk of time in Jeffrey Epstein's world. Andrew suggested that because he was a prince, people changed their behaviour around him and that it wasn't like there were lots of underage girls walking around Jeffrey Epstein's mansions. He said, I wasn't there long enough. If you go in for a day, two days at a time, it's quite easy, I'm led to believe, for those sorts of people to hide their activities and carry on when you're not there. Asked if he would be willing to testify or give a statement, Prince Andrew said that he would have to take all the legal advice before he did that. But, and I quote, if push came to shove and the legal advice was to do so, I would be duty bound to do so. Correct. Now, producer Sam McAllister said she was watching on in that room in total shock. She said it was an embarrassment of horror for Prince Andrew, but for me sitting there as the person who had negotiated this interview, who'd brought that to the table, you can only imagine what it was like to hear answer after answer that I knew would be front page of every paper in the country, if not the world. It really did feel that significant. I knew what we had and I knew how profoundly awful his answers were. Mm, Perhaps the strangest fact of all in all of this is that the producer, Sam McAllister, had expected Prince Andrew's private secretary to be distraught after the interview. She said, I expected the prince to look shaken or concerned, but he seemed ebullient. And then it hit me. He actually thought it had gone well. In fact, he was in fine spirits. So it wasn't just that Prince Andrew thought it had gone brilliantly, but as Sam McAllister said, he's private secretary, so he's kind of chief of staff, he's go-to person. Right-hand person. Exactly. Also wasn't that phased by the interview, which says a lot about who was kind of inhibiting his space at that time and how many perhaps yes people were in his team. And I think... Again, as we mentioned at the the top of this conversation, he must have thought it was fine because this had consistently blown over. It had always blown over. He just thought he could do the interview and move on with his life. But the interview was an absolute disaster for him publicly. It aired two days later on November 16, 2019. And as the New York Times summarised the interview, and I quote, brought a storm of negative coverage, prompted companies with ties to the prince's charities to distance themselves from him and rekindled calls for him to testify to the FBI about his tangled history with Mr Epstein. 
Experts described the interview as, and I quote, the biggest public relations debacle for the British royal family since the turbulent aftermath of the death of Princess Diana in 1997. Yeah, to make matters worse, Fergie posted a series of photos of Andrew with an emotional caption on Instagram, which garnered even greater ridicule. She wrote... Andrew is a true and real gentleman and is stoically steadfast to not only his duty, but also his kindness and goodness of always seeing the best in people. I am deeply supportive and proud of this giant of a principled man that dares to put his shoulder to the wind and stands firm with his sense of honour and truth. Fergie also said it was time for Andrew to stand strong and that she would stand alongside him. And if this is not proof that both of these people are completely detached from reality, I don't know what is. Yeah, on November 20, 2019, Andrew actually put a statement out saying he was stepping back from royal duties for the foreseeable future. He said, and I quote, he would continue to unequivocally regret my ill-judged associations with Epstein. His suicide has left many unanswered questions, particularly for his victims, and I deeply sympathise with everyone who has been affected and wants some form of closure. I can only hope that in time they will be able to rebuild their lives. Of course, I am willing to help any appropriate law enforcement agency with their investigations if required. Just Complete inconsistent messaging from Prince Andrew at all times. Mm. This is kind of the only time he's acknowledged that people were deeply, deeply hurt by the actions of Epstein and truthfully the allegations levelled at Andrew too. According to Tina Brown in her book, the Queen had no sense of what was about to transpire when she sat down to watch the interview, Mish. Yeah, here's a passage from Tina Brown's book. A palace source told me that Prince Andrew went directly to Mummy to get permission to film, after already telling the BBC they were cleared to do so. He positioned the broadcast of the Queen as a discussion about his official duties and his success with Pitch at Palace, his entrepreneurial initiative. Expecting just that, Her Majesty, I am told by a source close to her, watched the broadcast alone in her private sitting room at Windsor after enjoying a light dinner on a tray. One only hopes she did not upend her favourite champagne nightcap. I am also baffled here as to how the Queen could be so detached from reality, knowing what had happened in the months preceding this interview, knowing what the climate was. How could anyone come to you? How could Prince Andrew come to you and say, oh, mummy, I'm doing this interview all about my entrepreneurial initiative and you not think that's a bad idea? Obviously, they're going to ask you about the awful people you've kept in your orbit for so long, even after finding out that they're very awful people. Like... How anyone in the royal family did not have an alarm bell going off about this is remarkable, but I'm glad that happened because if they hadn't done this interview, we wouldn't be where we are today. Like, I'm glad they all made this misstep after trying to protect him for so fucking long. I think it says a lot about how much blind trust was in Andrew despite every sign that he was never one to be trusted, like how much of a favourite he was in the family. In response, the Queen actually axed the 60th birthday party she'd planned to host for him in Feb 2020 and, as Tina Brown wrote, for the first time in Andrew's life, he didn't wake up that day to flags flying on government buildings in his honour. When Beatrice, Princess Beatrice, got married the following July, Prince Andrew was not included in either of the wedding photos released by the palace. But Tina Brown interestingly notes in her book that, and I quote, Andrew was punished not for consorting with a known pedophile or accusations of having sex with a trafficked teenage girl, but for talking about it to the skillful Miss Emily Maitlis. Mm. It's a good point. It's a great point. Everything about this was circulating for a long time before he did this interview. His punishment from the royal family's perspective was one of being poor in a public relations sense, not because... He was alleged to have done very horrible things. And that seems to be the royal family's MO, right? Like they're not going to necessarily be angry at you for doing awful things. They're angry at you if those awful things make it into the paper and make the family look bad. Exactly. For Prince Andrew, things were only going from bad to worse. In August 2021, Virginia Dufresne filed a lawsuit against him in a New York federal court accusing him of sexual assault in 2001 when she was 17 years old. That lawsuit alleged that Jeffrey Epstein, Ghislaine Maxwell and Prince Andrew forced her to have sexual intercourse with Andrew 
through against her will in Ghislaine's London home, Epstein's Manhattan mansion and Epstein's private island in the US Virgin Islands. According to court documents, Virginia said that she feared, and I quote, death or physical injury if she disobeyed Jeffrey Epstein and Ghislaine Maxwell's orders. She also alleged that Prince Andrew was aware of her age and aware that she was a victim of sex trafficking. Via her lawyers, Virginia Dufresne said in a statement to the ABC, I am holding Prince Andrew accountable for what he did to me. The powerful and the rich are not exempt from being held responsible for their actions. I hope that other victims will see that it is possible not to live in silence and fear, but one can reclaim her life by speaking out and demanding justice. What an incredible passage. Yeah, she had to go up against giants, Virginia Dufre, mm. like absolute giants to try and get justice and sort of shine a light on the awful things that were happening to women like her around this time who were associated with Epstein. And young girls. Yeah, and it would have been fucking terrifying. I don't know how you go up against an institution like the monarchy, but she did it. Now, terrible stories continued to follow Prince Andrew and his case. The Telegraph reported in October that the Queen was privately funding her son's legal defence and that Prince Andrew's lead defence attorney charged up to $2,000 an hour. It was believed that the final legal sum would, of course, run into millions. I mean, it kind of makes sense for every conversation we've had over the last few episodes. The sense is very much that... Though Prince Andrew has more money than a lot of other people would have in their lifetimes, he simply does not have access to the cash that could fund the kind of legal defence that he thought he needed, mm. particularly with a lawyer that expensive. Yeah, there was also a bit of legal back and forth from Prince Andrew's lawyers who seemed desperate to get the case thrown out. They tried to block the lawsuit by arguing that Virginia Dufresne did not have the legal right to file her lawsuit in the US given that she had been living in Australia. The lawyers also later tried to claim that a 2009 settlement between Jeffrey Epstein and Virginia Dufresne prevented her from taking legal action against Prince Andrew, but a judge denied those requests to dismiss the case. Yeah, thank God as well. I think for so many of these victim survivors, they would have seen time and time again how powerful men were still protected by the very institutions that promised to protect the young women. Mm. And as we knew with Epstein in the early 2000s, he wasn't given the punishment that he deserved. So I can imagine people still looking on with a level of scepticism around this to be like, there are many ways this case could be dismissed unfairly. And the mental fortitude to continually fight this. This is 2021, 20 years after she says these incidents happened. The mental fortitude to give up your time, to have your life kind of be overhauled again and again by these cases that you can't trust. You can't trust that the people around you are going to have your best interests because they have had powerful men's interests for so long. So like the ability to keep showing up and keep doing this for other people, Virginia Dufresne did this for other people as much as she did it for herself, is an incredible testament to how strong this woman is. Yeah, for sure. And at the end of 2021 as well, in a separate federal court trial, Ghislaine Maxwell was also found guilty of quite a few charges regarding her relationship with Jeffrey Epstein and how she was essentially working as his madam for decades. She was sentenced to 20 years in prison for her role in the sexual exploitation and abuse of minors with Yeah, it's interesting. Some people, not many, but some, tried to argue that a woman was taking the fall for a male monster's crimes. However, as author and writer Anna Pasternak once said, there is absolutely no way that he could have had access to that many young girls whose lives they obliterated without Ghislaine. Like, to make this about gender, that Ghislaine is Ghislaine a woman. tried to make that about gender. Yeah. She tried to make it about like this dysfunctional relationship that she had with Jeffrey where he had power over her and she had to do what he was asking for. Like all of the facts of the case prove that she was a willing participant in this. And she was an incredibly powerful person. Herself. Look at the family that she was coming from. Look at the wealth that she had at her disposal for so long. To try and position herself as the powerless one here when the real powerless ones were the young girls who were being abused is just like sick. 
Yeah, for sure. In January this year, it was official. Buckingham Palace issued a statement announcing that with the Queen's approval and agreement, Prince Andrew had been stripped of his military affiliations and royal patronages. The Duke of York will continue not to undertake any public duties and is defending this case as a private citizen. It looked as though for a while this case would actually go to trial. Many argued that this would be disastrous for Prince Andrew and the royal family for so much to play out publicly. And then in Feb 2022, reports came out that Prince Andrew had reached an out-of-court settlement with Virginia Dufre. The payment was not disclosed but was thought to be somewhere in the millions and millions of pounds. The settlement also said that Andrew would make a substantial donation to Virginia's charity in support of sexual assault victims. Yeah. So this all brings us to where is Prince Andrew now? Well, the answer is he's sort of quietly living out his life in private. According to reports, Prince Andrew wants to be reinstated as a working member of the royal family and was lobbying the monarch for this. But (laughs) again, why would you deserve that? Like the lack of self-awareness for me to think that this is something that could happen in your lifetime that you deserve to be reinstated in your role. Fuck off. It's it's like, it's... It's beyond words. That's I, why we can't find words. It is beyond words, the gall of this man. Yeah, I think it's absolutely that because I am a little bit lost for words as to how anyone can lack this much self-awareness and to have such little regard for how his actions have affected other people. Prince Andrew and Fergie are believed to still be living together in Royal Lodge. Their two daughters both welcomed their first children in 2021, making them both grandparents. Fergie also released her first romance novel last year called Her Heart for a Compass. As a profile in Town & Country magazine observed, with Andrew, not she, occupying the royal doghouse, something that has happened only rarely in the 36 years since her childhood chum, Princess Diana, set them up. Her sins now look penny ante by comparison. Yeah, there have been some rumours, scattered rumours, that Fergie and Prince Andrew will remarry, but Fergie told The Telegraph last year, all I can say is that we're happy with the way we are right now. We always say we're the most contented divorced couple in the world. We're divorced to each other, not from each other. I don't know what that sentence means and I don't know what the relationship really looks like between Prince Andrew and Fergie now. I think to say that it's unique would be a bit of an understatement. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, over the years, both of these people have done some pretty questionable things. I mean, Prince Andrew surely more than Fergie. But alas, they've they've just sort of strangely stuck together through Mm. it. Like... As you mentioned earlier in this episode, that post that Fergie put up on Instagram after Andrew has been accused of awful things is just baffling to me. These two are two of the more baffling people we've ever covered across this series for me, for sure. Yeah. What are your main takeaways after the last three episodes? Because I think for me, my main takeaway is that as often as possible, we should be talking about Prince Andrew in the context of Jeffrey Epstein. We should be telling the story of Prince Andrew's life and the story of Fergie's life because Virginia Dufresne has battled for that to be exactly the case yeah. for so long. Yeah, I totally agree with you guys. I think that is all we've got time for today. Thank you so much as always to our researcher Justine Landis-Hanley who researches these alongside us, Mish. If people want to support the show, what can they do? They can follow us on Instagram. We are at Shameless Podcast. We're also on TikTok at Shameless underscore podcast. We have another podcast as well. It's called Everybody Has a Secret. If you want to listen to that in your downtime, we absolutely adore that show hosted by Annabelle Lee. Other than that, Zara, we'll be back in your ears tomorrow for our scandal series on Kate Moss. See you then. Thanks so much, guys. Bye. Bye.